We've been in this series called Called Out Ones, or Called Out. Called Out is actually the, the literal translation of the Greek word ekklesia, that in our New Testaments, uh, we translate church. So we've been trying to kind of reshape the vernacular. You don't go to church. If you're a Christian, you are the church. Uh, it's not a service that we attend. It's a movement that we're a part of. We've been called out of this world that we were born into, a world that uh, was governed and still is in many ways by sin. And in, in the chapter two of this book that we've been studying, Ephesians, it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were enemies of God. But God, in his infinite mercy and grace, called us out of that life into a life with him through our faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, you're called out. And as called out ones, we have these very awesome, specific blessings. We, we get to live with Christ and, and his love is as first in our hearts and minds. We, we get to, as we talked about the first week, um, proceed in life from a love for our Savior. And that's how it's supposed to work. In fact, if, if we get busy doing church and being the church and, and serving in the church, but we have not love, it's all for nothing. We've got to keep Christ as our first love, our first passion and priority. That was the first week. Last week we talked about the unity that is meant to exist in the church, that despite the fact that we're very different, look around. Anybody looking different? Some of you are like, oh. Anybody look different from you? You might want to guess that there's lots of people who think different than you here, who have different loves and likes, or rooting for different teams tonight in the football playoffs. Yeah, there's all kinds of differences uh, represented here in our church. Go Patriots. But, uh, <laughs> but despite all those differences, God has called us together. He's made us one in our faith in Christ, and we're meant to be one body and one spirit because there's one God who is over all and in all and through all in his church. Today we want to talk about, as Paul progresses in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, this call that we've been given to maturity. We've been called to grow up. Anybody ever said that to someone? Why don't you just grow up? Now, that's what Paul, in a kinder and uh, more spiritual way, is saying to uh, the church in Ephesus and to us uh, a couple thousand years later, uh, hey Christians, hey church, we need to grow up. We, we need to go from our, our, our beginnings in our faith to becoming mature in our faith. Uh, I love reality television shows. Not, well, I shouldn't say I love them. Most of them, I think, are just stupid. But uh, uh, some of them, though, I think are very informative, like the documentary type or, or, the, or the things that kind of show, like, the, I'll, I'll just skip right to the bunch. Anybody seen this show on uh, Food Channel that's uh, called Unwrapped? I'm a huge candy freak. I like, I like the sweets. And Unwrapped is this show, if you haven't seen it, where it takes you basically from the factory to the stores, and it shows you the whole process that it you know, uh, is required to, you know, to make M&Ms or, or any of the other great candies. And I love that. I don't know what's, what, what's so fascinating to me about that, but I love, like, the other show is How It's Made. Anybody seen that show? Love How It's Made because, you know, canoes don't just spontaneously combust. They don't just kind of, you, know, uh, you know, grow in the, uh, you know, in the earth. They have to be made. And so I, I love looking at, 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 at these factories that uh, make things and seeing how they take the you know, just these things that don't look like anything, and they put it in vats and send it down a conveyor belt, and all of a sudden at the end, canoe, there you go. <laughs> I'm amazed by that process. And, and we as the church are in that process. We are being made. We have been made uh, new in our faith in Jesus Christ, but we are being made to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to be like Jesus in his world. And we want to cover that this morning, as Paul does 
here in his text. We want to answer this question today. How does a church grow up into maturity? How is the church meant to be made? Uh, just a, a bunch of stuff here as we get going this morning, but just a few things for you to write down. Uh, write this down. First, as we're being made to be his church, it's by grace uh, that Jesus gifts his church the things that it needs to become mature. By grace, Jesus gives gifts to his church. I got that from this verse right here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Kind of confusing, but let's just break it down. Uh, grace, that's the Greek word charis. It, it's usually associated with um, especially initial saving grace. Our salvation is, is the grace or the gift, the charis uh, of God to us. So grace was given to each one of us initially, salvifically, uh, according, uh, 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 and, and who's it given to? How many of us? Those of us who are in the church, uh, we've all received this grace from God to each one of us. But it wasn't just this uh, one gift, salvation. He's given us additional gifts. Grace was given to us, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the Greek word charismata. Charis, charismata. Anybody heard of the charismatic movement? Uh, that's the Greek word charismata. If you came from a charismatic background, uh, certainly appropriate uh, for charismatic to be a word to describe uh, charismatic churches, but I think it's kind of limiting. Here's, here's why. I think mostly charismatic churches focus in on primarily the sign gifts of speaking in tongues and being able to you know, give prophecies and heal, and I don't know where you are on that, uh, but, but certainly there are other gifts, uh, which we're not going to have time to talk about this morning. But here's, here's, here's what I want you to remember. The charismata, the gifts of God, are given to the individual members. Every member of the body of Christ is gifted by God with specific things that are meant to be brought to the body so that it can mature. All of them. He's going to mention four specifically this morning, but every gift is given by God through Christ to the church so that with those gifts, the church can have what it needs. It's kind of like, um, you know, we're all making a cake, and... Uh, and you've got flour, and you've got butter, and, and you've got the, I don't know what goes in cake, milk? Sure. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but everybody has a different ingredient. And alone, we've got nothing. But together, we got a cake. Okay, in the body of Christ, if, if everybody just keeps their gifts to themselves, we've got nothing. But if the body of Christ brings all of those gifts together, we got a church. And a church that's uh, functioning in the ways that it's meant to. Is everybody with me? All right, good. I hadn't said that yet this weekend. Thank you, Lord. All right, here we go. Yeah, now, this next part is one of those parts of scriptures uh, that often when we get to it, we go, huh? And so let's walk through the huh. Everybody with me? <laughs> Therefore, it says, okay, uh, so Paul's going to quote the Old Testament here. This is Psalm 68, verse 18 that he's quoting, quote, quoting or quoting. Uh, he says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, he, he's actually quoting Psalm 68, verse 18, which says, uh, Psalm 68, yeah, you ascended on high, speaking of God the Father, uh, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Okay, so you gotta understand a little bit about Psalm 68, and just for the very sake of time and for the very least of what I wanna uh, you know, have time to give you, basically Psalm 68 is a story uh, or a psalm of thanksgiving and praise for God, for all of the things that he's done in the history of Israel, but specifically the things that he did at the Exodus, which is where Israel was uh, redeemed and, and rescued out of slavery in Egypt. Anybody heard of the Exodus, right? 
Uh, let my people go. Anyway, uh, but then also uh, the conquest, which happened, you know, some 40 years after the Exodus. There was a little waiting period there, but uh, 40 years later, uh, Joshua starts leading the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And, and there's, you know, it's a great book if you're, you know, kind of bored in a sermon. There's all kinds of war stories in there and stuff. Uh, but it, it shows how God conquers uh, through Israel and its armies the, the Promised Land and gives it to Israel. And so, as the, as the conqueror, uh, God ascends, it says in another part of Psalm 68, uh, Mount Sinai, which is symbolic of the entire nation of Israel, all of the promised land. So you ascended on high, God, and uh, you led a host of captives in your train. Uh, back then, if you were a general and you conquered another army, you would take those uh, you know, members of that army that were left alive captive, and you would march into town, a victorious general, with all of your captives in a train behind you, all right? And so he's, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel here, as they sing this psalm in the temple, they're saying, Lord, you, you had a host of captives in your train, and you received gifts among men. If you won in war, you got the booty. Not, yeah. you, you, got the, you got all the plunder. Let's, let's call it the plunder. Uh, sorry. Um, you received gifts from uh, those that you conquered, and even the rebellious, even the ones who hated you the most, they, they gave gifts. Uh, uh, and, and, and you did all this so that the, the Lord God and the nation of Israel might dwell in the promised land. Is everybody picking up what he's putting down there? No. Now, Paul, go back to verse 8 for me in, in Ephesians 4. Paul quotes this, but he changes one of the words. He says, when he ascended on high, uh, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, now we, we learned from 68 that men gave gifts to God. But here, Paul, he's kind of switching some things around. He's not talking about God the Father in the Old Testament and in the, in the, you know, the uh, the exodus and the conquest. He's talking about the church. We're in, uh, you know, a line of thought here in Ephesus, where, or in Ephesians, where he's talking about the church. So he's going to shift uh, the meaning of he to being God the Father, to being God the Son. And he's going to talk about, as he said in verse 7, that, that Jesus give gifts, he gives gifts, he gives gifts to men. Um, it's not inconsistent with Psalm 68, because Psalm 68, if a general uh, conquered uh, all these nations and, and was rightfully given the plunder of those nations, who do you think he shares it with? He shares it with his armies. He's like, hey guys, great fight, way to go, we won. Here's your part, here's your part, you can have this helmet, you, can, you know, whatever. And he shares with all of those that are with him uh, the plunder, uh, the spoils of of his victory, and I, I love that the, you know Paul is, uh, is emphasizing uh, Christ's victory, God's victory in the Old Testament, and the spoils of war that came to those who followed him. But here in the New Testament, he's saying Jesus has given us victory over sin and death, and not just victory over sin and death, but He's given us gifts so that we might use them to glorify Him and build His church. He, he goes on in verse nine of Ephesians chapter four, and he basically parenthetically says this as he writes. He says, uh, in saying He ascended, what does it mean, or what do I mean that? Uh, he, Jesus, had also descended into the lower regions or to the earth. Uh, we call this Christmas, right? Because at Christmas, what do we celebrate? The Son of God coming from heaven to earth and being born as one of us so he could become the rightful sacrifice for all of mankind. That's his descension. In verse 10, it says, and he who descended is the one who also ascended. What do we call that? Well, it's, it's the time that uh, you know, it was immediately after Easter, some 40 days after Jesus uh, dies and raises again from death 
Uh, he, uh, 40 days he spends on earth in his resurrected form, and then it tells us at the end of the book of Matthew and at the beginning of the book of Acts that Jesus ascended into heaven. It's right before he did. He says, hey, you guys, go and make disciples. Hey, you guys, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Hey, you guys, don't forget, this was all so that you could be my church, and my church would be my agent in changing the world. But then he ascended, and he ascended, it tells us in lots of different places in the scriptures, to the right hand of the Father. We actually heard that earlier in the book of Ephesians. And there, in his rightful place of, of authority and of, of ruling, he fills all things and carries out uh, God's will and his purposes for all creation. Hmm. Uh, certain gifts, secondly, are given to build his body, the church. So God gives all the gifts to the church so that everybody can make the church. We can all make the cake. But certain gifts, as he speaks of them here, are given so that the church specifically can be directed in the direction of maturity. Let's read what it says here. Uh, He gave the apostles, the, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, it says in the next verse, uh, for the building up of the body. Now, go back for me. I know I, I messed you up up there. Go back to verse. Go back. Thank you. Sometimes I, I pull our slide people off sides. I'm sorry. You know, it's that, that count. All right, anyway, uh, it says he gave the apostles and the prophets. Let's talk about there's, there's four specific gifts that he refers to here. Apostleship, prophecy, uh, evangelism, and then shepherding or teaching, or, and we'll talk about how those are together. But, but let's, let's talk about these first two first. Uh, he gave the apostles. Apostle is a simple, uh, simply a Greek word that means sent one, a bunch of sent ones. It's used in different ways in your New Testament. Sometimes it's used to refer to the entire church, that we're all sent ones. Sometimes it's refer, used to refer to actually specific people from early churches who were sent from those churches as messengers uh, on behalf of Paul and other people. Uh, But normally, it's connected with an actual group of of men who were instrumental in the foundation of God's church. Uh, We would also call them the disciples, the uh, 12 who followed Jesus, minus Judas, who didn't quite make it. Uh, And then Paul, who calls himself over and over again, a what? An apostle. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, is that Jesus met me on a road to Damascus, and he said, hey, I'm sending you. You're switching teams. You're not going to persecute me anymore. You're going to build my church. And so I don't know what you believe about the gift of apostleship, if it still exists for today. Uh, I personally don't think that there is the, the, the gift of apostleship as it's being referred to here today because um, certainly there are people who act like apostles. You've got missionaries who go into different worlds and they're sent ones into those worlds. You've got church planners who go into different communities and they're sent ones into those communities. But I think these apostles are those original apostles uh, who God built his church on. Like it says in Acts chapter 2, that when they were gathered, the early church, uh, chapter 2, verse 42, when they were gathered, they would gather around, um, you know, prayer, and uh, they would break bread together, um, and then they would gather around the apostles, and they would listen to the apostles' teaching, these original leaders of the church. Back, you know, picture yourself there. Back before there's a Bible, back before there's buildings, how does the church get going? Well, God uses those that followed him to establish his work in us. He also sent prophets. Uh, In the book of Acts, you see uh, in different places that uh, uh, this prophet would come and and testify before the church. And and prophets are, uh, you know, common to the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Your whole Old Testament, the back of your Old Testament is just a list of prophets, minor prophets and major prophets. 
but they're just a bunch of guys who God sent to Israel or to Judah and said, hey, say this. And that's why they almost always start whatever they're saying with, thus saith the Lord. Have anybody ever heard that? This is what God says. This isn't me. I'm just a prophet. I'm here to speak on behalf of God. And I don't know how, what you believe about the gift of prophecy today. It, it's, it's thought of in different terms. Uh, but I think specifically, as Paul writes, he's saying, listen, there were these specific people, specifically gifted people, who were instrumental in the establishing of God's church. They were apostles and they were prophets. He actually refers to it in this same letter in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. He says this, so then you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You've been brought from outside the faith, called into the faith as the church. And uh, verse 20 says, and you are built on the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets. Their teaching, their words are are the, the foundation that the church is built on. Uh, just so you know, most of your New Testament, once you get past the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, is kind of a history of the early church. Most of the uh, New Testament, almost all of it, is written by apostles, guys named Paul, guys named John, and guys named Peter. They're apostles. And so we don't need more apostles. In fact, you've got to be careful if you give someone the title of apostle. Apostles were Bible writers. And I don't think we're supposed to be adding to the book anymore, right? So uh, that's what I think. I think the apostles and prophets were foundational leaders in the church. But they, he didn't stop there. He says, uh, in verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, he gave some to be apostles, uh, he gave some to be prophets, uh, and then he gave some to be evangelists and some to be shepherd and teachers. What, what do you think of when you think evangelists? Starts with Billy, ends with... Yeah. Evangelists are basically um, uh, given over, gifted to sharing the gospel so that people can respond and be saved. Now, let's be careful here, because when we say that there's a gift of evangelism, it might make you think, well, I don't have to do that now. But does anybody think that uh, uh, all Christians are called to be evangelists? If you do, you're right, because all of us were given the command to go and make disciples. All of us were told to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, most everyone's everyone is an evangelist but god has specifically gifted some to be better at evangelism with the gift of evangelism so they can be templates for us they can be examples for us encouragers of us inspirers of us as we share our faith in the worlds that we live in i uh, uh I, I see this you know uh in different parts of the world in different parts of life there's there's experts that come in and, and inspire change, inspire people to do what they're supposed to be doing. Eleanor was watching a show the other night on Netflix. Uh, it's called um, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And uh, I was kind of watching the hockey game and kind of looking on her screen as she was sitting next to me. Because we've gotten into that place in life where we're like, hey, I'll keep the hockey game on silent. You watch Marie Kondo. We'll sit together. Anyway, uh, so she's watching this Marie Kondo, but I can't help but hearing what's going on, and I can't, you know... Uh, and if you don't know anything about it, uh, you don't need to watch it. But uh, um, this sweet Japanese lady has come to the States, and she doesn't you know, really speak any English, but she comes in with her interpreter, and they go into American houses that are completely full of junk and stuff, and Marie Kondo helps you tidy up. And she does a lot of crazy stuff that, uh, you know, like she has everybody kneel, and, and she wants to be, you know, invited into the house and constant, whatever. It's just weird. But... Uh, but in the end, every, every, every you know, family member that you know, uh, is a part of this house has to take all their stuff out and they have to start 
letting go of their things. And, and the house, in the end, gets tidied up. And Marie says, okay, there, your house is tidy. Now let's keep it tidy. And all the people are like, you betcha, Marie Kondo. And, and uh, uh, you've maybe watched a show like it. Marie's the expert. If people with the, there's my point. The people with the gift of evangelism, they're not the ones that we're gonna let go do all the evangelism. All of us need to tidy up. All of us need to be involved in, in, in evangelism, but thank God he sends those to us who are just naturals at it. Does anybody know someone who, like they could be talking with someone in line at McDonald's and all of a sudden they're sharing their faith. And it doesn't feel weird, it doesn't seem like they forced it, it's just like, oh, you're getting a Big Mac? Did you know that Jesus has a plan for your life? I mean, it's just, you know, they just kind of flow and you and I are like, how did you do that? I've been hanging out with this guy my whole life and I can't talk to him about Jesus for a lick and you just order a Big Mac and all of a sudden you're, you're praying in line and he's becoming a Christian. <clears throat> it's great to be inspired by those folks. And I'm grateful that the early church was given evangelists, and our churches are given evangelists to inspire us to live out the Great Commission. But we were also given, and I think principally given in every church, a specific role that has, has shaped the church for 2,000 years. It's the role of the shepherd teacher. It's interesting here, if you can look, it has a definite article. No, no, go back for me. Easy now. Uh, a definite article that says the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists. But here with these two uh, you know, words, there's, there's only one definite article. There's only the shepherds and teachers. So it's almost like Paul's putting them together. It's a sandwich, a shepherd teacher, okay? And <clears throat> we have come to know the shepherd teachers as pastors. Pastors, hi. I'm your pastor. I'm your shepherd teacher. I'm not the only pastor here. There's lots of amazing pastors on staff. I see some of you sitting over there. Hi, Shane. He's one of our pastors. And if I looked a lot, I'd see a bunch of you. But, uh, but there's lots of people on our staff who are you know, serving in this role of pastor. There's lots of people in our, our body who aren't paid to be pastors, but they serve with their gifts as, as, as a, a pastor. They, they shepherd life groups. They, uh, they, they teach. Um, it's certainly not just uh, limited to the, to the paid folks. Pastoring happens up and down and throughout a body. Uh, but uh, uh, these people, these, these ones who are gifted with the, the gifts of, of, of pastor, of teaching and of being shepherds, uh, uh, shepherd there is just, you know, caregiver. Um, what, what do shepherds do? Shepherds basically take flocks out and they, they make sure that they're protected. You know, they have a stick. I, I didn't bring mine with me. Uh, but they have a stick, and so they can, they can use that stick to kind of gently nudge sheep in the direction they need to go. They can use that stick. There's a crook at the end. That's for grabbing a sheep by the neck and yanking them back into place, and sometimes shepherds have to act that way. Hey, hey, wake up. You're not doing it right. God wants you to do this. Um, we, we, we lead, we're supposed to as pastors, lead our sheep to places where they can feed. That's what... Jesus said to uh, Peter in John chapter 21, hey, do you love me? Yes, I do. Well, then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Take care. Be a shepherd, Pete. That's what I've called you to be, and that's what Peter was in the early church. Um, it's so crucial that we have this role of leader and influencer and teacher, uh, someone or, or many someones who can, uh, as God gifts them, uh, teach the, the church its doctrine and direct it in, in its vision and its, its purpose. You know, without this church, uh, there's all kinds of errors that can beset the body. Uh, and we know from history that they have. 
even, even in this, uh, this church, uh, Paul gathers the elders of Ephesus, the, the pastor teachers of Ephesus, and he, he says, hey, you guys, um, make sure that you're, you're careful. Be alert, he tells them, because there's going to be some who come into the church in Ephesus. This is Acts 20. There are going to be some who come in who are going to be like fierce wolves. And, and just like wolves can mess up an actual sheep flock, wolves will mess up your sheep and your flock. And, and he says they're going to come even, even from amongst your number. Oh, how great is that? Uh, sarcasm, very much so there. Uh, that the pastors themselves will actually be, uh, you know, fall into error and in their role as leaders lead entire groups of the church away from truth. See the cults. Uh, see uh, just all kinds of crazy wackadoo in, in, in the Christian world. Uh, there's leaders who think way too highly of themselves and what they think, and they, they take bodies of Christ away from Christ. Um, it's crucial that we have um, people with the gift of shepherding and teaching and positions and serving humbly and allowing God to work through them so that we stay on course. Uh, why does God give apostles and, and, uh, uh, and, and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers? He gives them to the church for this specific purpose. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ can be built up. That's kind of 1A and 1B. But the, but the first thing that he wants is that he wants pastors and, and teachers and evangelists, uh, in, in the beginning, the apostles and the prophets, to equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry. Now, that word equip there is the Greek word kartismos, and uh, it, it basically means to bring to completion, um, uh, to make whole. It was used in, in the medical field uh, to describe the setting of a broken bone. What a great picture for pastors. You're going to a church that's full of you know, uh, broken people, all of us, not just you know, pastors broken too, but, but we're, we're meant to lead the healing in the body of Christ. We're meant to bring things back to whole and completion in our own lives and in the lives of those uh, who walk with us as the church. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that pastors are the sole doers, that we're the, you know, the, the, the apex of the pyramid and everybody else is just kind of sub-Christians, that there's you know, us driving the bus and the rest of you are riding. We're, we're just coaches, we're encouragers, we're examples, but everybody does, say it again with me, the work of the ministry. Our, our role is to equip saints to do what God's called them to do so that everybody gets what they need in the body of Christ. So a lot of people come to church and they don't understand that. They come to watch. They, they come to, to feed and to soak, but that's it. They don't want to give back. And so they just kind of sit here and spectate. And, and we understand that in every other part of life, that's just not going to bring results in that person's existence. So like, like if some of you are in, uh, you know, New Year's resolutions to start working out more. So maybe you've joined a gym, and maybe you're doing some of the exercise classes. I know Eleanor is uh, down at the Mac over at First Baptist. Anyway, so you go to these classes, and there's usually a leader out in the front who's leading the class, right? They're usually, you know, more fit than you, and uh, and then you kind of you know, line up with the rest of the people who are need to be there, and then uh, and. Uh, and then the class starts, you know, usually it's, you know, you're, you're moving to music, there's stuff like that, but they start yelling out orders or they're, they're on their bike and they're telling you what to do on your bike, whatever the class is. And the person at the front barks the orders, 
pastors, shepherds, whatever, teaches, whatever, and that everybody in, in, in line does what they're called to do, and, and then they get to work out and benefit from that workout. Now, how weird would it be if you and I signed up for that class, showed up on time in all of our workout gear, but in one hand we had a dozen hole-in-one donuts, and as soon as, the, uh, as, soon as the, the, the coach at the front starts barking out their orders, we're like, oh, good. And we go sit down on the, on the mats in the back, and we just eat donuts the whole time and watch everybody else work out. And then the class ends, and we close our empty box of donuts, and we're like, whew, I'm, I'm spent. Are you guys spent? <laughs> whew, that was a great workout. I'm so glad I'm dropping the LBs this year. Yeah. Okay, it's stupid. Agreed? It's stupid to think that that's how it works. Listen to me, Christians. It's stupid to think that you can come in here and watch and grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ the way you're meant to. It's stupid for you to watch everybody else be equipped for works and ministries and and for all those people to go out and serve him however they're meant to and for you just to be like, oh, way to go. Because that's not your design. Christ gave gifts to each one of us. And your pastors and your shepherds and your teachers are here to uh, inform you and to inspire you and, and to equip you so that you can use those gifts. But if you just kind of come in and watch, or if you sit at home and watch, and, and you don't become a part of the body of Christ, that's a stunted Christian life right there. It's just not going to grow the way it's supposed to. Yeah, we're supposed to be equipped for the works of ministries, for the building of the, of the entire body. Listen, when, when we operate in, in, in the gifts that God has given us, we grow and you grow. That's just how it works. If I operate in the gifts that God has given me, right now, by the grace of God, I'm standing in front of you exercising my gift of teaching. And I feel great, just so you know. Not always that way, I'll be honest. Sometimes I feel physically ill. Sometimes I don't feel spiritually as as up to it as I should be. But right now, I am prayed up, I am studied up, and I am standing here for the third time this weekend saying what I'm supposed to be saying to you guys, and I'm having fun doing it. Now, okay, thank you. That's not why I said that. But my point is, is that when I'm experiencing and I'm living in the gifts that God has given me, it changes my countenance. It develops my faith and deepens my maturity in Christ. Okay? But I pray what's happening. You hear me pray it every time I preach to you. God, get me out of the way. Speak in my place. Use what we're doing here to move everybody else forward. As I exercise my gifts, I benefit and I pray and I trust that the Holy Spirit is working in you and you benefit. When you exercise your gifts, whether it's the gift of mercy or the gift of hospitality, which I'm not preaching a sermon on the gifts today, but whatever your gifts are, go to call to serve. Go to some of these other classes. Learn what your gifts are. Figure out what they are and serve in them. And what you'll find is that as you serve God with your gifts, your spirit pumps up, your maturity deepens, and God's going to use you to develop those around you because it's just how it works. It's how it's made. The body of Christ, it's how it's made. So he says there, uh, 
pastors and teachers equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So what are the markers of a built body? I, I used to work out uh, at a gym with a friend of mine who, who used to be here. He's moved to Texas now, but, but he was a professional bodybuilder. He went to all those contests, and, and, uh, and, and he would basically you know, lift all these weights, and, and they're crazy. They get up in the middle of the night, and they eat meals like every three hours so that they can get the max out of their physiques. And on, uh, you know, two days before they uh, go to, to compete, they have all these crazy dietary things that they got to do. And then they get in their underwear, and they stand in front of people, <coughs> and they do all this, you know. Mm. <laughs> and there's people who are trained in the human physique who stand there and say, you know, first, second, third. Best body, second best body, third best body. You know, white pale guy with the hairy chest. I don't know why you're here. But, you know, uh, right? That's how it works. And, I, and listen, I don't want to, you know, make this silly, but, but the body of Christ, like I believe that God looks down at the bodies and he says, oh, there's a cut church. Like that church is in good shape. That, that body is built. What are the markers of a built body? Well, here we go. Verse 13, he, he describes a built body. He says, listen, I pray that the pastors and teachers equip the saints so that everybody's built up, and here's what a built body looks like. Uh, all of us. How many of us? All of us. Attain to the unity of the faith. All of us are unified in what we believe in. We, we talked about that last week. We're together. Even though we're different, we're together on the things that we believe in. We all attain to the unity of the faith. We all are growing in our knowledge of the Son of God. We're deepening in our understanding of Christ and how we're meant to be uh, like him and, and live for him. We become uh, a cut church is a mature church. When it says here to mature manhood, uh, this can be confusing, uh, especially for the ladies in our body. But what does that mean? Well, he's, he's talking, I believe, uh, about the body of Christ again. It's the context of the church. And, and earlier in the, in the letter to Ephesus, uh, Paul describes the church as a new man. That there used to be two, Gen Jews and Gentiles, but now they're one as, as a new man. And so he's saying, listen, I want a mature new man. I want a mature church. A church that's unified in the faith, a church that's growing in its understanding of Christ. These are the markers of a built body. Maturity. How do, how do you measure maturity? He says it in the next line. Now, maturity is the, no, no, no. Go back. Maturity, please go back. Oh, you are back. Good, thank you. <clears throat> Did anybody else see it change? Okay. Thank you. Maturity is, me is the measure, it's measured by the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, we talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. You want to know when you're mature in Christ? You are indistinguishable from Christ. That's when you're mature from Christ, or with Christ. If you want to know what it is to, to, to reach the acme, the pinnacle of Christian existence, you look less and less like you, and you look and act more and more like Jesus. We don't measure by bicep, you know, bench press. We measure by Christ's likeness. Why is this so important? He comes back again to the defense of the church. He says all of this is important. Us, us you know, being unified in the faith and understanding the Son of God, being mature, uh, growing into the, the fullness of Christ. All of this is important, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Spends a lot of time writing about all the things that could go bad in the church just then. Did everybody see that? We're supposed to grow up so that all of the errors that could come into us in our thinking, all of the ways that our culture presses in on us, and, and just so you know, the Christian church is becoming um, an enemy of the culture. Okay, we are, we are no longer seen as a solution. We are the problem in a lot of people's minds. And if we would just get on board with what they're saying and with what they're thinking, everything would be fine, everything would be great. And why can't you evolve and why can't you develop with the rest of us? You're rigid and you're unloving and you're the problem. It's, it's not a new thing, just so you know. Throughout the ages, the world has had a hard time understanding the church. And Paul knew this, and he, he said to the church in Ephesus, hey, you guys, you've got to grow up. You can't stay like a little kid because there's, there's big fights out there that await you, and if you're a little kid, you're going to lose. Now, when I picture uh, an immature church or an immature believer, I picture a five-year-old. Now, some of you are like, well, Mark, we're supposed to be you know, like little children. Absolutely, let's be innocent and simple in our faith, absolutely. But let's not be you know, puny and... Uh, you know, unable in our, our maturity because, I mean, picture this, you know, world heavyweight champ, I don't know who he is right now, but I, I go back to the days of Mike Tyson. You put Mike Tyson in the ring against a five-year-old. And the five-year-old's all strapped up, he's got the boxing gloves, he's, you know, he's got the, the truck. But, but someone's gonna be like, hey, stop this fight. This is, this is crazy. This is abuse. But in the spiritual realm, there's churches full of five-year-olds going up against an adversary who Peter describes as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we wonder why churches close their doors every day. We wonder why churches stray from the faith and from the truth. I'm sorry, Oprah, there's not your truth and your truth and your truth. There is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, he is the life. And it's no wonder that we start going pell-mell here and there throughout our history Falling away from what we have held is because we haven't grown to a point where we can fight in a way where we stick with our Savior. And so if you're sitting here and you're eating donuts in the back or watching online and you're just dipping your toe in the pool of Jesus, I'm here to tell you the Christian experience goes further than that. You are meant to follow Christ, be like Christ, grow up in your faith. You're meant to be together in unity in your faith. You and I have been called to something so much greater, the world and its salvation depends on us, growing in our faith and being used of God to share the gospel. And yet here we sit week after week, some of us, judging the songs like that one, didn't like that one, Looking at our watches, he's going too long. Why do I keep coming to the last service? He always goes longer at the last service. <laughs> because we think that this thing that God created after sending his son to die for humanity, this thing that he calls his church, we think it's about us and about what we can receive and about our opinions and what we think of it. And it's never been that. It's about him. 
It's about Jesus being the center of our lives, the center of his church. The band's going to come out. And we're going to sing this song. We've been singing it at the end of every service. It's a simple song. It's a prayer. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of your church. Be our first love. Be our priority. Grow us up into Christ-likeness. Make us more like you. Use us for your glory. Align us with your purposes in your church. You, you set it up to work a certain way. We discussed this morning how it's made, his church is made, as he gifts the body of Christ with their individual gifts so that all of us can make the cake together, this church that he's called us to. He gave specific gifts to, to lead and influence and admonish so that all of us can be equipped as saints to do the work together. And as we work together in the ways that God has gifted us, the body grows and matures and becomes cut, ready to face whatever it will face. I pray that long after they've poured the dirt over my carcass and put the stone at the head of my coffin, that this church will be persisting, that it will be growing and maturing, that they'll bring new leaders and new pastors and new uh, influencers so that all of us can stay together, unified in the faith, growing towards Christ-likeness and being used of him until Jesus comes again. You ask me, how long we got to do this, Mark? Until Jesus comes again. Until we go to see him. No retirement from the faith. No taking breaks. Just persist. And by God's grace, we'll have all that we need. As long as Jesus is the center of it all. Will you stand with us as we sing?
Okay, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. We just sang it. That Jesus would be the center of your life and mine, that he'd be the center of our church. He is the center of everything that exists. He's the creator, the sustainer, all things are his. But you pray it with me. If you can, don't be lying to your Savior. If you can't pray and honestly ask your Savior to be the center of your life, don't. But if you're serious about that, you pray that with me as I pray. God, I stand before your church. These are your people. Uh, there's young and old. Uh, we are different in so many ways. Uh, we've come to you in, in, in so many different uh, avenues. I mean, we, it's, we're all different, but we have you in common, and we have this mission, this, this hope that you have for us in common. And as we move forward as your church, we know that everything hinges, not on uh, how slick we are, on how um, busy we are. Everything hinges on you being at the center of us and of your church. And so, God, I earnestly pray that you'd be the center of my life. If you can pray that with me, you pray that with me. Be the center of my life. And God, I pray on behalf of everybody here that you'd be in the center of their lives and that you would be in the center of your church and that we would have you as our first love, our first priority, our first passion as we gather and go every week. So take us to wherever we're going, to our families, I'm sure, as we get in cars, but, but to our, our homes and then to our works and our, our, our places of work and our schools tomorrow. And everywhere we go, may you be at the center of our existence. May we uh, take our... Um, direction from you and your spirit, and may you lead us to the conversations you want us to have. May we make you first in our minds. Uh, may we spend time with you uh, uh, leading up to us, gathering together again next week, but, but in everything that we are and everything that we do, may you be the center. I pray this, knowing it's your will, but I pray that you would overcome us in our will to serve ourselves, uh, to, to go back to the old man that we were before you. I pray against that desire, God. Give us uh, a fresh grace, a fresh mercy every day to seek you and to follow you. And I pray because you let me, because you've given me the grace to do so, I pray only in the name of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said, amen. God bless you as you go. Let him be the center of us and your lives.